This Week in Startups is brought to you by LinkedIn. A business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. Go to linkedin.com slash twist and get a $50 credit towards your first job post. Captera, the leading free online resource to find the best software solutions. Visit captera.com slash twist for free today to find the right tools to make 2020 the year for your business. And Delighted is the easiest way to measure and monitor your NPS. Claim your free lifetime account, complete with a complimentary advisory session with a Delighted concierge at delighted.com slash twist. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Startups. I'm your host, Jason Calacanis. And on this podcast, we talk about startups and we talk about their journeys. And they're often uh, messy and they're trying to figure out where they're going. And especially in the early years, things were up and down. We recently had Austin from Lambda School on the podcast, and Lambda School is a, a coder school. And what's unique about Lambda is that they use something called an ISA, an income sharing agreement. So instead of paying for your tuition up front, you pay a percentage of your salary after the fact. And I think just broad strokes, it was originally you could pay for the nine-month program at Lambda School to learn how to be a developer, $20,000. And I think on the back end, you paid 15% of your salary capped at $30,000. It may have changed a little bit. And so uh, unlike college where you're not guaranteed uh, or you're forced to pay the money up front, here Lambda takes the risk and the student takes the risk of going to the program for nine months. And recently, a story came out in New York Magazine uh, titled Lambda Schools Misleading Promises by Vincent Wu. Who is Vincent Wu? He is on the program today, and we recently had Austin on the program to talk about the issues that Vincent brought up in his story uh, in episode number 1033, 1033 of This Week in Startups. Welcome to the program, Vincent Wu. Hi. So tell me, who who are you and why did you write the story? Because my understanding is you're not a traditional journalist. No. You're not like a trained journalist or you you don't work for- well, I have some training. But... So, oh, in journalism? Well, I had classes. Oh, you took some classes in journalism. But um, you don't work for New York Magazine. You did this as a freelance piece for them. Yeah. And it's your first piece for them? Yeah. Great. So tell me, uh, why did you write this story? What was the origin of it? I told this story a little bit in the piece, and as told, it is true, right? Like, mm, the way this story even started was I saw, a, like, a very strange tweet from one of their executives that basically claimed that uh, if you did not believe that Lambda School was or would be a $100 billion company, that you fundamentally did not understand the American economy. Mm. Now, as an angel investor, I think you can understand why... It's kind of an odd claim. Like you, most startups fail even when they're good ideas. You know, the idea that you don't believe any particular company is a hundred billion dollars is actually no judgment of whether you think the company is a good idea or not. Like there are so many market forces and like competition. Yeah. yeah, of course, or regulation or global recession, like the one we find ourselves somewhat in. Uh, so all of those together made me think like, wow, what an incredibly aggressive statement hmm. and an odd one. It struck me like it stuck in my memory. And I remember retweeting it and just having the reaction like, wow, what a strange thing to say. Uh, and when I did that, people started calling me and they wanted to tell me really strange things that they had discovered through interacting with Lambda School. 
that eventually went on to form the impetus to pull on the thread of this story. And this is about five or six months now ago. Uh, and so you uh, talked to these folks and decided you wanted to make this into a piece uh, as a yeah, journalist? I thought I thought I had an edge. Without revealing my sources or where right. they come from, I suspected that I had information that most journalists would not be able to acquire. Right. And you had specifically a deck that was sent to investors. Among many things, yeah. Yeah. And so you find yourself after doing this tweet, uh, getting this information, and had you written an article for a, a journalistic publication in the last year or two, or is this like the first one? Uh, mostly self-published local political corruption pieces, but not really for like a major publication. This is my first major publication piece. Got it. By far. Uh, and so you get this insider information, mm -hmm. and you discover what? Um, basically a lot of fraud. Fraud. Yeah. Fraud's, a, fraud's a criminal term. Yes. Uh, so you're alleging... Criminal yes. fraud. Okay, what is that? Describe it. I mean, it varies on the spectrum. I can give you the hardest version. Sure. And we can work back from there. So the hardest, most blatant example of fraud perpetuated, uh, perpetuated by Allred is probably uh, his repeated statements that he in no way sold ISAs at any point, nor ever would. Uh, and he's made these statements several times in the public as part of a general defense of the incentive alignment of his school, which is to be lauded. I mean, I don't really have a problem with it. It's the lying, right? So at the moment, he made various statements on Twitter. I don't know if you want to like throw up like a screenshot of a tweet or something. I can send you yeah. a picture. Yeah. But uh, he said stuff like, we have never, ever sold ISAs. Like in When you say selling them, selling, selling them outright, 100% of the equity. Explain what that means. Because I, I, people understand an ISA is the agreement between sure, sure. So, uh, uh, Lambda School and the student. When you say selling an ISA, what does that mean? Let me explain. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the ISA that Lambda contracts with the student say, it says basically that if you get a tech job paying $50,000 or more, we will take 17% of your pre-tax income over two years up to a maximum of $30,000. So if a student does get a job, it's worth some amount of money to Lambda, but rather they would really prefer having the money up front for cash flow issues. So in order to, uh, you know, make their books better, they have an incentive to kind of say like, hey, we have these contracts. We think a lot of them are going to be worth something. If you, a hedge fund, are interested in going long on the value represented by these contracts, give us like a third of the face value up front and you can carry the upside, you know. So that's what they did. They sold outright ISAs to a hedge fund and received $10,000 a head up front. And, you know, presumably- Why is that wrong? I don't think it's wrong. I okay. think the lie is what oh, makes I see it what you're fraud. Saying. Okay, so there's no problem with bundling 100 students together and using that as a financial device with a bank or a hedge fund. That, that happens in yeah, mortgages so, and loans all the so time. So long as students, I think, are informed of the Got reality it. of this, right. I think it's fair. But I think the way that Lambda School works is at the time and a bit less now that they've been forced to walk back a lot of these statements that, uh, you know, part of the value proposition is this idea that we only make money when you make money. And to an underprivileged student who doesn't have a lot of cash on hand, this is a really enticing promise, the promise that not only are you getting a good deal on your education, potentially, that the school is so invested in you that they will go to any great length to make sure that you get a job. In so much as that financial claim is true or is not true, it's definitely material to students' understanding of the contract they're entering into. Right. And, and the contract, is there any problem with the contract itself? It seems like it's, it's a legal. really generous contract, right? 
in, yes and no. I mean, okay. this is. I mostly want to talk about like the actual allegations of fraud and, and wrongdoing. Yeah, we can we can do that. We, just just so the audience understands. Pontificating on whether these are good or not, I think fundamentally they come down to whether the price is good or not. Okay. So, for a lot of people, if you do actually think that you're likely to get a job with Lambda School, like imagine right. you're a student and you think you have roughly eighty percent odds of getting a job after right. going through Lambda School with a median salary of let's say about eighty five thousand dollars, right? Yeah. The sticker price you're looking at for your boot camp is above $20,000. Right. Now, Lambda School doesn't exist in a vacuum. There are many, many coding boot camps, many of them with audited performance reports that are public, hmm. managed by SIR. And you're thinking, should I really be paying $20,000 or $25,000 when I can be paying fifteen? Okay. Uh, that starts to become the calculus. And whether they're good or not obviously depends on the student and whether they're comfortable with the risk. Like, I don't want to make a value judgment fundamentally about... Well, let's just make sure we the audience understands. So the ISA, that agreement, that they didn't come up with the ISA. No, Purdue did. Yeah, Purdue. And so the ISA sounds like a better deal than being on the hook for college. You would agree. It's um, a much better deal than having a $200,000 loan with a college. I am no fan of college. Got it. And I think depending on your life circumstance, I think a lot more people should reconsider whether they just ought to go to college today Great. Okay. than at any time in human history. Right. Like, I'm on board with that. And then paying. What about the paying? Like, paying on on the back end if you get a job in that category. Because yeah. if you get any job, if I think you get a, a job I think it's a, a wonderful financial structure in many okay, great. respects. So we're in agree on that. Then, so the issue is, um, there was this issue of the bundling, which he said he would never do, the selling of it. No, it wasn't bundling. It was He was literally selling individual ISAs at the beginning, at the Got outset. It. Very early on in Austin Allred's running of Lambda School, he received a quiet offer from a couple hedge funds huh. to purchase individual student ISAs, which he never disclosed to press or told anyone besides his investors. Hmm. It, it leaked to me eventually. Uh, and this was just wholesale, like, I think they took half of their students basically said, and like, you own these contracts. They're not bundled in a securitization sense. Like mm. you, the hedge fund, I don't believe, though I would need the exact legal contract in order to prove this. I don't believe they got paid out differently as an average of group performance over mm. time. I think like each contract literally is just whatever proceeds come from this student go to you. Right. And it's not like the student's going to get chased by the hedge fund because legally they only have to pay. If this they get is, a job in tech over 50K. This is gray area. I mean, it, it's unclear what enforcement mechanisms for uh, defaulting on these contracts will be. Hmm. There has been no major case that has been brought to press yet. It's unclear whether these contracts can be collected as debt or not. This is something that Austin is lobbying for in government as well. That they can be collected as debt or yeah. they can't? He wants more. He basically wants more authority to collect debt on these. Right now, if you don't pay, my understanding as an amateur right. student of the law is that uh, non-payment of an ISA when you qualify to pay for it is effectively only breach of contract. Got it. And you know how breach of contract disputes go. Like if you want the money, you need a lawyer. Right. And if what you're trying to collect is only on the order of, let's say, $20,000. It's not worth it. And your lawyer costs five. Yeah. So, they, so then I don't know. just taking even opinion. more risk. Uh, and let's yeah. just say, like, listen, we neither of us are lawyers, but mm -hmm. they're, they're taking all the risk in this case. Um, well, it depends. I mean, if they've sold some of Right. If yeah. they sold them, then the hedge fund's taking all that risk. Yes. So this is an issue where 
you feel Austin was dishonest about this, and yeah. he since Again, deleted the tweets about the ISAs. Of course, he did. Yeah, <laughs> um, that he wouldn't sell them, but now he's upfront that they are selling them, and uh, that's actually yeah. part of the program. Yeah, oh, I mean, of course, because I published. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that's one issue. When we get back, let's talk about the enrollment rates, uh, or I'm sorry, the placement rates, mm-hmm. which means of people who graduated, who got a job, and the discrepancy between placement rates when we get back on This Week in Startups. Blake Barnes, the head of product for LinkedIn Talent Solutions. Welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me. Big fan. All right. Oh, thanks for that. What's your favorite question? The, see, for me, favorite comes down to what's most functional, what's useful for Okay. What, what do you What do you so think are the clever lot, functional ones? We, we find a lot of questions, for example, might be around your experience with technology. Like, how many years of machine learning experience do you have? Right. You know, or... Uh, you know, tell us more about the languages you use, these sorts of things. So some, for some of our technical roles, those are some of the ones that have been most effective or useful for our hires to find the right candidates. My favorite was somebody put a crypto ad out and they're like, must work, must have 20 years experience. And I was like, going to go ahead and say, you know, five years ago, somebody didn't have 20 years of crypto experience. This thing's been around for about 18 months. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's really funny, interesting you say that, you know, one of the things that uh, we, so we build a wide range of products. Another one is uh, Talent Insights. It's, it's a product that helps uh, companies all over the world understand talent pools. Um, and one of the things it can do is, is help recruiters uh, work with hiring managers to understand what's really possible, right? Mm-hmm. You know, saying, hey, I, I want, uh, you know, I'm looking to hire a, a product manager, you know, with 20 years of native development, uh, you know, for a hundred thousand dollars a year in San Francisco, and they're like, "Yeah, good luck with yeah, that." Yeah, good luck with that. And yeah. talent insights can can help hiring managers oh. and recruiters, you know, help them understand what the available talent pools are out there. So basically, you can give them a report, an analysis of, "Hey, if you need somebody in this field, here's what you can expect to pay." For this number of years experience. Yeah, or how all these qualifications match together to, to kind of like say, here's the possible pool of applicants. Find the right person for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You pay what you want and you get the first fitty for free. The 5-0, the $50 bill. Just visit linkedin.com slash twist. Again, linkedin.com. You got that in your URL already. Just add slash twist, T-W-I-S-T, and you get that $50 for your first job post. It's $50 for terms and conditions. Of course, apply Thanks, Blake, for coming on the pod. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Let's get back to this amazing episode. All right. So you recorded your interview with Austin. You asked him uh, when you were writing this story for an interview. Mm -hmm. Um, And I get the sense that he didn't know that you had the information, the internal information you had. Of course. He didn't. Yeah. Okay. So uh, like a 60 Minutes investigative reporter, you sprung this on him during the interview. Of course. Uh, and uh, you're smiling. I think you you like the idea of being an investigative reporter. This it's, is a, it's quite fun. Yeah, it's quite fun. Uh, and, and so here we'll play a clip about you asking Austin about this. He is really good at giving the impression that he is like completely driven and motivated to do what is best and greatest for the world through these students. Coming away from it, I can't help but believe him in some respects. But also, you can't help but completely disbelieve him in others. The language you have used with Twitter followers, I think, is kind of adamant, right? Like, you say things like, we never ever get paid up front for an ISA, which encompasses a lot of behaviors that are not... That's totally correct. When we did sell ISAs, we would sell them either at the point where a student was hired or at graduation. Is that true? That's 100% true. Here I was sort of amazed that Austin so readily contradicted his previous statements about never having sold ISAs. (laughs) 
Yeah, and so I guess the subtlety there is he was saying he never sold the ISAs until they were placed. No, he he caveated himself. I mean, one, Uh, should you even believe any of his words here, whatever. But even if you listen to what he says, he says we only sold them when they graduate or when they're placed. Mm. Graduation is, you know, it's a nice event for the student, but it's nowhere near as important as placement. Got it. So uh, let's talk about that. The placement rate for Lambda School Mm -hmm. is what? Uh, I have no idea. I assume it's much less than what they claim. Okay. And they claim Mm -hmm. now what? Before your story, after your story? Before the story, the public claim was 86%. Got it. After the story, they produced a report that purported to show that the placement rate, at least for the first half of 2019, leaving off all the data they don't want to talk about, uh, is 70-something percent. Got it. Uh, Which is, you would admit, extraordinary, right? Like, No, it's within benchmark for similar boot camps, most of them cheaper. Got it. If anything, lower. Uh, so most boot camps do... What percent? 80 or above. Really? Yeah. Uh, So that is shockingly high when compared to the placement rates for college, which we talked about. Neither of us are necessarily fans of in terms of the investment to getting a job. Mm -hmm. In those cases, it's 20 or 30 percent. I mean, I don't know. If you're averaging all fields, like are we we counting like art sculpture? Yeah, everything. Yeah, Like Western literature? Yeah, exactly. I I feel like there are a lot of majors where the expectation really isn't placement in an expensive field. Mm. But I'm not an expert on college dynamics, so I I can't really comment. Like, in some senses, yeah, it's better. Yeah, I mean, I I talk to people about it. It's, I would say the coding schools, you know, if the goal of school is to get a job, the coding schools outperform colleges. Right. Two, three, four X. The coding school as a product that you're buying as consumers, is much more single purpose. I think people it go to is. college it's for very a variety focused. of reasons. Right. They can give it general education, a job. Yeah. babysitting for four years, whatever. Yeah. I mean, people who are really down Vacation. on college, you know, myself included, really see a lot of the time spent in college as waste. Hmm. And I'm in agreement with you there. Right. Though there, I have to make the point that there are very, very inexpensive colleges. Which is weird. Everybody is getting this two hundred thousand dollars debt, and there are colleges that cost three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine thousand dollars a year. Yeah, I mean, the American economy is strange. Prestige signaling is a big issue in higher education. I don't have the answers. Yeah, I think and really it's becoming less. Be I mean, one of the great things about society now is that it's not about your, you know, it's about your credentials and your skills, not which big school you went to anymore. I hope that is the case, but it's difficult for me to observe directly. Like, yeah. ho- hopefully, but I well, I mean, I, I see it every day in terms of hiring. If you had somebody who knew exactly how to code Swift or React or JavaScript mm-hmm. or whatever you happen to be using in your stack, and they never went to school, but they spent two years teaching themselves yeah. that and could code, they would get the job over somebody with <laughs> totally. a PhD in you know, computer science from Stanford or Harvard. And ostensibly, this is the purpose of the company. I found it, really. The, yeah. The, a tool that helps you eva- uh, evaluate objectively someone's actual coding performance. Oh, uh, that was the, of your company? This was CoderPad. CoderPad, which was your company, CoderPad.com. Yeah. You didn't go to YC. No, I did apply, though. You applied? <laughs> How many times? Just once. Just once, yeah. yeah. Uh, how was that experience? It was fun getting grilled. Yeah? They asked me straight up whether I thought I would make a billion dollars, and I was like, no. And then they were like, okay, I think we have our answer. Wow. <laughs> so, so there's so basically, if you're going to apply to Y Combinator, If they ask you if you're going to make a billion dollar company, say yes, even if you don't believe it. Yeah. Yeah, be delusional. Yeah. yeah absolutely. I, or lie. I just wasn't able Either one. to get there. All right, so but now But returning you, to the... Main story. Yeah, I mean, main story, yeah. Uh, like, you asked me a question about 
placement rates. Yeah, I think initially, and then we kind of went off into a tangent about like, is this better or worse than college? I mean, yeah. jury's out. But like, yeah, I think that probably the true placement rate of Lambda School is maybe around fifty percent mm-hmm. of graduated. Uh, but it's hard to be sure because they're the only ones that have the numbers. I say this because I have multiple sources, not just this memo. Right. That basically makes similar claims, right? I have, for one, their former director of like student placement, huh. effectively, who says, "Yeah, that's bullshit." Huh. I had a. Did he say that on the record? Yeah. She, Sabrina, she, on the yeah. record in the yeah. piece. Yeah. She said that was a real journey to get her on the record. Absolutely. Really, tell us about that because so many of these stories are being criticized in Silicon Valley now for having all anonymous sources. Oh, this is all very on the. I want to say also, by the way. I did take a little bit of offense to the way that you and Austin talked about my piece. This okay. Is, this is not an opinion piece. Okay. All of these facts went through like seven editors, fact, cho- fact checkers, and lawyers. We had the story ready to go probably weeks before we published because we were going through so many rounds of like legal, like, like let's make sure we can cross every T here. I would think New York Magazine, since you're a stringer, they would want to make sure that it's oh, doubly- yeah. They went the distance yeah. and uh, I was really happy that they did because yeah. it made the piece stronger. Anyway, getting Sabrina on the record was very difficult because she was terminated from Lambda in very contentious manner. Uh, she had a number of complaints about basically racism huh. at the company. Uh, and I think it all kind of came to her head. Her story's fascinating. It came to her head when she was trying to push for like effectively like diversity and inclusion training for the students Mm -hmm. as a reaction to how much intra-student harassment was going on during Lambda School over Slack. Uh, And this program was effectively stymied by management. uh, And they tried to fire her eventually, I mean, dramatically during her firing, as she tells it. And this is true from the material she sent me. uh, They attempted to fire her, claiming that they had put her on a PIP before but in the performance pre- improvement plan. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, previously, she was in a contentious meeting with management where it looked like they were about to put her on a pip, but she so thoroughly refuted uh, most of the complaints about her supposed lack of performance that they never actually put her on the pip. And then when they fired her, she countered with, but I'm not on a pip. What are you talking about? And then they yeah. freaked out, but uh. had preemptively already removed her from all company like Slack. Ah. And uh, like they had planned to just terminate her right then. Uh, and afterwards, she couldn't discuss. It was hard to get her on the record because they also forced her to sign an NDA with severance. And Yeah, pretty standard in the industry. As she was five months pregnant, she couldn't help but want to take the money. So she broke her non-disclosure. Yes. To for your story. Yes. So that's a pretty big level of conviction. Has has Lambda taken legal action against her? They're starting to threaten her, yes. Huh. Uh, and in your story... She says, I would say out of 71 students within the six months of them graduating was probably 50 to 60% placement rate, uh, which is not too bad in my mind, but it's below the 80% you claim other schools have and below the 86% they, they themselves claimed. had reported at some yeah. point. Um, now they're saying it's in the 70% range. Yeah, I hope I hope it is. Which would be in the which would be between these two numbers in fairness, because this is the six months of them graduating and uh, they keep working with the students. Well, they say they do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they have an incentive to. I mean, they, they really care about that. <laughs> they don't have an incentive rate. if they think you're a lost cause. Let's put it that way. Explain that. Because how it does seem to me that if, and I'm interested in your opinion of this, and uh, in terms of you being offended by us, our discussion about it, I think it's a good thing to unpack because I, I think the, opi- the, the, the struggle I'm having is I'm kind of glad that this exists 
as an opportunity. Yeah. Because as an opportunity, um, if they allow more people in, they have to lower, they'll be lowering the benchmark for who gets in, right? That's what they've done. Yeah. So if, you, if, you, if you're a coding school and you want to have a high uh, placement rate, you only let in the top people and maybe not the people who need extra work or maybe you're yes. taking more risk on. Yes. And so you would be excluding people. You would not be inclusionary. You might say this person doesn't yes. have as much math in their background. They don't have this much work experience. So we're going to exclude those people. I agree. Uh, and so if you want to be inclusive, you lower your rate by definition because people mm -hmm. might quit and people might not complete it or yeah. they might not have the prerequisites. I mean, so, so how do you think about this that? This is one of the big complicated questions about Lambda School. And I have, I have a lot of thoughts about it. Uh, I would say one of the things that struck me about almost all of the students I talked to, whether they felt good or bad about the school, was that they were in incredibly dire economic straits hmm. before they started Lambda School. And many of them basically had to take on credit to attend, not to pay for the school, ah. but to survive for nine months. Lambda School is a long boot camp, unusually long. Some some are starting to get to be about that length, but the when boot yeah, that's six months was the standard. Is that my right? It's it's starting to fluctuate, but when so the first real boot camp was Dev Boot Camp, effectively, right. and I think there was something at like nine to twelve weeks. Uh, so at, in the beginning, I think they may have lengthened the program eventually over time. Does that work nine to twelve weeks, or it just doesn't work? It works if you pick your students well. Got it. And so you, you train skim the cream. Not just that, right? Like they also worked with like Dev Boot Camp in its heyday in its small class size phase was probably one of the best educations you could get as a programmer or a novice programmer because not only was everyone highly motivated to get everything done, it was in person. So you get a lot of individual instructor time from very uh, experienced teachers who had a theory of pedagogy effectively. Um, there's an anonymous quote from one of my sources that uh, is interesting actually kind of on this tangent um, that I like to read. Yeah. Uh, I wish they would let me use their name. They claim to be upending the traditional classroom, but are recapit recapitulating to the worst aspects of it in reference to Lambda School. Got it. And what the source means by this is like, what is the shape of Lambda's lectures now? The reason Lambda is so viral is not because of the ISAs, as you said at the beginning. There are other boot camps that offer ISAs. Lambda is just the best capitalized one and thus the one with the most marketing. The thing that really makes Lambda School Lambda School mm. is that it is entirely remote only. Ah. So the experience of students in Lambda School is two hours of kind of just being lectured at uh -huh. and then the rest of their day just freewheeling effectively, ah. which is very different, I think, in a lot of respects, what early boot camps are trying to do with their pedagogy. And, you know, this is the, this is the, the tyranny of scale, mm. effectively, right? Like they... Their attraction to VCs is that they could potentially reach like the entire market without scaling physical location costs. Got it. That's very interesting from a capitalization perspective. Right. When we get back from this quick break, I want to know which one is the better model, doing it remote and allowing people to have all that flexibility or doing it in person and having that up close personal touch where you're over the shoulder and maybe could sit, na sit next to the person uh, and answer that question when we get back on this week at Startups. You need to find the right software for the job, but you've got so many other things on your plate that you don't have the time. Well, you can cut to the chase with Capterra, the website millions of people are using monthly to find software for their team or their business. Capterra is the free online resource that helps you find the best software solutions out there. 
and you can search for more than 700 specific categories of software from project management to email marketing and with over 1 million reviews from real software users you can discover everything you need to make an informed decision it's all the data information you need in just one place it's kind of like yelp for software well here's a video of uh, our associate presh and we were looking for new sales automation software and with captera we could search through the reviews and we could set some filters like the number of employees that the software is best optimized for in our case we're a small enterprise we're going to need three or four people on the software you know a mid-sized company might have 30 or 40 and a large company might have 300 or 3,000. and we created a side-by-side comparison of different products with the ratings for ease of use, which is important, customer support, critically important, uh, the features and the functionality, and of course, value for money. We want to save money. We don't want to blow through a ton of cash. We want to find the perfectly right-sized piece of software for our need, and we were able to find this easily. We did a free trial for something we called PipeDrive out there, and it worked for us, uh, and we didn't even know that software existed. So great job to Capterra. And so here is your call to action. Go to capterra.com slash twist for free today to find the tools you need to make an informed software decision for your business and you'll join the millions of people who use capterra each month that's c-a-p-t-e-r-r-a dot com slash twist c-a-p-t-e-r-r-a dot com slash twist software selection simplified the three s's okay let's get back to this amazing episode all right my guest today is vincent Wu. he is an investigative journalist uh, former, or yeah, former founder and CEO, or still CEO of CoderPad. Uh, former, former. You may know the new CEO. I may. Amanda Richardson, I believe, has spoke yeah. at a couple of your conferences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she what says is, hello. Hello. Yeah. Uh, how, what is CoderPad? CoderPad is a tool for interviewing programmers remotely. Got it. Got it. Uh, so you're a fan of the remote work, <laughs> obviously, or remote is, it's, is a good it's thing. Necessary. Yeah. Necessary. I wish to augment an experience that was lacking previously. Yeah. Uh, and so you're not competitive just to be clear with lambda school in any way no in fact they're one of our customers <laughs> that's amazing mm-hmm. um so it's not like you're have an axe to grind here that you're competitive with them uh um, no not at all yeah just to so clear uh so when we went to commercial break you were talking about the 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 modalities of education remote versus in person yeah which works better uh well, obvious, for obviously in person works better it does the question is whether it's affordable Got it. Yeah, I mean, ab- absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. Right. In person instruction, and the reason is much would be the instructor can react to individual students in a way that instructors in these remote lectures really can't. Got it. They can look them in the eye. They can see the expression. They yeah. can walk up Questions to them. Questions are much more fluid. Have Got you, it. You've been on vi- like large video conferences. Oh, it's disastrous. Y- I mean, yeah. They Usually, can- I'm the host, so it's not as disastrous for me. But it is mind-numbingly boring. To be sitting there with a headset and be one of a hundred people. It is difficult. And you can't do very simple things like, I have a syntax error. I need help. The instructor can look over your shoulder and just say something quickly. Right. Like that feedback loop is really hard for students in Lambda School to get. I mean, I talked to a student who said in his entire tenure at Lambda School, he was never able to successfully get a one-on-one session with an instructor, huh. despite requesting it numerous times. Yeah. So if you're into remote work... Uh, or you're into doing it remote, it might be a benefit. And if you can't get to a physical location like San Francisco, if you were in Idaho yeah, uh, or in Waterloo or... There are boot camps in Idaho. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, if you weren't able to travel for some reason, the yeah. expense of it, the time, you have kids, a family, whatever it is, yeah. it's a godsend, but it is not as effective. It's uh, a trade-off, right? Yeah, it's a trade-off. And like all trade-offs, we have to leave it to adults to choose yeah. which is best. I mean, this question that we got onto is part of a larger question about like, you know, 
isn't it such a great financial device? Like, aren't they being inclusive by having, you know, a a motive to greatly expand the pie and just take on as many ISAs as they can? And uh, as part of answering that, like, I'm trying to get at that, like, kind of, right? Like, the students do have to pay for a lot of their own expenses during a very long tenure at school. Most students I saw who had problems with the school really struggled, especially with like medical conditions and the like, that it's not free. Like all of these have costs. How is it not free? It's not free in the sense that you pay opportunity costs, like your rent during oh, that time. See. Like these are people who used to work. I kn- oh, you're saying people are quitting their jobs to then yeah, Absolutely. Do yeah. They're quitting their jobs in advance of Lambda school. I talked right. to a guy who was making, I don't know, 60 to 70K as a bartender. You know, he had worked his way up. And then, you know, on the promise of being able to be made into like, you know, a UX designer making much more, he quit his job foregoing a seniority at the bar and now is just strung out because the UX program is like the biggest disaster Lambda's ever tried to like make into a curriculum. Interesting, because if you had a sixty to $70,000 a year job, unless you were in a major city, a UX position would not pay that much. Yeah. So I mean, that may sold- have been just a mistake in taking it. They sell a dream, you right. know? Like maybe wanted to move, you know, like I think fundamentally he was craving to be someone who was valued for being creative. Right. As opposed to just being like a bartender. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's that's I could see somebody who's in a a dead end job. Being a bartender is a dead end job. Like there's very few places to move. So he's looking for a way out. But like in retrospect, like if you asked him like, you know. Like, should, like, if you could go back in time and undo this, like, the answer would be like, absolutely, of course. Like, cause he for, he went, he for went like nine months of income right, in order to attend a school. Bethany Serber, a student spokesman for the group, enrolled in Lambda's UX program. That's user interface, uh, experience. The Verge reporting Rather. goes into additional depth too, if you're interested. Objected to, yes, the standard disorganized, completely lacking curriculum delivered by, to us by Lambda School, Cerber and her group are seeking to negotiate the cancellation of their ISAs. So they felt that it wasn't very well done and they want their ISAs canceled. Oh, Why do they need to have their ISAs canceled anyway if they're not? A lot of them want to go to a different boot camp and try to get a job. Oh, I see. So if they go to another boot camp. This is five-year optionality on their future yeah. income maintained forever. Yeah. Right. Or maintained for so five years. So what they're say. concerned <laughs> about is they didn't feel the program was good. And if they do happen to get a UX... It was wholly through their own labor afterwards. Afterwards. And this is a pattern I see with a lot of students that do manage to scratch it out after Lambda school. They say things like, basically, I had to go through the entire Udemy catalog and teach myself all the stuff that Lambda school failed to teach me and, like, manage to get a job anyway. And Lambda, you could say, like, teaches them some aspect of motivation. Certainly, I think, is is valuable. But is it, like, seventeen dollars to $30,000 valuable? is up for these students to decide. And this is actually a pretty mild quote from the letter. Like, the letter is very damning. Like, that Lambda School basically failed to deliver totally basic principles. Do they, do they still have that UX program? Or They're they shit-canning it, but they won't say it. Oh, okay. Um, it's and, like they shit-canned Europe without really saying it. Ah, uh, so they, what is your thought? They went too fast and maybe got ahead of their skis? Uh, yeah, I mean, in their quest for scale, they yeah. realized pretty early on that they could—they had to do more than just teach people like web dev stuff if they wanted to make it to a hundred billion dollars. Right. So, like, what are some other tracks we can maybe teach? Yeah. The problem is there's no real established pedagogy of UX. Like, UX is a 
fairly nascent industry. So yeah. we don't even like the notion. What that, do you teach in vision or like? I think they wish yeah. they were taught that. I mean, like the students really weren't even taught how to use design tools. Huh. They were taught mostly like how to conduct user research as far as I could tell. Valuable, but what, only one aspect. Exactly. Of it. Yeah. And, and also the problem is like UX is a lot of different things at a lot of different companies. You know, like the field hasn't really settled into even what the job responsibilities are. Yeah. And so I think it's a very difficult program to educate people for. The, the intellectual exercise that I went through in thinking about this was if they opened it up to everybody in the world. Yeah. And anybody could come. Okay. Or, you know, a million people, let's say. And none of them were on the hook for it. And they just made had to make the decision if they wanted to dedicate their time to it or not, which is a cost, but I would say probably a minor cost, like nine months of your life, like kids spend, uh, I don't know. It's not minor for the kinds of people who would be attracted precisely to the value proposition you're describing. Uh, These are people living hand to mouth. Yeah, I mean, I lived hand to mouth in my life and I went to school full time and I worked full time at... I mean, you're a very talented person, and I'm glad you could do that. I actually wasn't. I was considered the least talented. I'm merely reporting three-year average. Well, what students told me is they yeah. experienced a tremendous amount of anxiety around this. The foregoing of nine months of income oh, okay. as a long bet on this. The only reason they could even contemplate it is because the school is free up front. Right. There's a huge class of people that would not contemplate making this decision unless it was free up front. But don't a, a large number of people work and go to school and have to pay for it up front? Like I did. Like, like in the past? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sounds nice, but yeah. I don't think it would work with you at Lambda School, no. Like these well, students I are, mean, I would have loved to have the app. I would love it for him. Students put, report spending 10-hour days on this stuff. Like yeah. it's possible, That's but it's I did. really, I worked really, 10 really, hours a day and then I did school for seven, eight, nine hours. I admire your grit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds crazy, but yeah. So some people, it was too much for them to handle doing 40 hours a week of this or 50 hours a week of this plus working. Most of them just quit up front because Lambda School tells you that's what you ought to do, really. Yeah. Also. Oh, like, to be full-time. Yeah, like this is conveyed to them as a full-time job, effectively. So the point I'm trying to make is the financial structure creates the market. Like before there was a zero-cost enrollment option, mm. a lot of people wouldn't contemplate making this jump. The thing is, that group of people that would contemplate making the jump is not randomly distributed throughout the population. Right. It is our population's most vulnerable the people most impacted by not making rent, missing one paycheck. And this is, I think, both the danger and beauty of Lambda School is that it offers a model to address this population. But for a lot of them, it can come Got as it. a significant Wouldn't personal the life setback. solution be to just make it make a three-day-a-week program for folks? Like they do have a part-time program. Oh, they do? Yeah, I don't know how effective it is. Yeah. I, I talked to no one from that. I couldn't find anyone. I would think that that would be super effective because you could work... Like I did, I was fixing laser printers, and I was a bar, I was a busboy, yeah, a waiter. You could work in my case as a waiter four days a week, yeah, and then three days a week or two or three days a week do this school. I think it extends their costs, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's a small program within their overall program. Yeah. I think they would struggle to make it work. I, it would seem like that would work really well. I, I, that would be like a I'll great let, solution. I'll let Austin know. Yeah. Uh, trust me, he's, he's listening right now. I mean, he's not listening literally right now, but he'll be listening to this <laughs> podcast when it comes out. Hi, I mean, criticism, one of the things I love about criticism, I think, and I think the in fairness, the role of investigative journalism when it's doing its job is that it does make society better. It does make oh, yeah. the individual perform better. So Lambda School almost certainly will, has and better. will continue to clean up its act in wake of this reporting. Yeah. 
And you had internal documents from an investor or from some exercise they did, some PowerPoint as well? Yes. And what did those describe? Uh, the memo as described was kind of a pitch for investment in Lambda School and kind Got of it. talked about- Pitching deck, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a PowerPoint. I mean, it was it was just like an essay, effectively. It. And it talked about their costs and placement and yeah. opportunity and so on. Hmm. It had a really amusing name. What was it called? Human Capital. Human the Cap last unoptimized asset class. Human Capital, the last un... Are you like an anarchist, like anti-capitalist? I'm curious. I am. Um, Are you like, anti-capitalist? Like you, I'm very wealthy off of the back of modern capitalism. So like, if I am... Only in the limited extent that it doesn't really affect my actions very much. Got it. So you I, made enough money from your company that you can't possibly be anti-capitalist. I don't know. I mean, what is anti-capitalist? I have some critiques ah, of capitalism, certainly. It. There are obviously some pros to capitalism. I don't know where we are because are I'm only- Are you a socialist? Uh, I would vote for Bernie Sanders. Okay. Uh, but you live in America. That's true. Right. Correct. So you choose to be here in a capitalist society, but you want to turn this capitalist society into a socialist society? I'm curious. Are we doing this? You want to do this? Yeah, why not? I find okay. you fascinating. <laughs> I'm just curious if I'm, I would, the reason I'm asking about your politics is because when I look at free markets and I look at these students, uh -huh. I have a less patriarchal view of them and their ability to make decisions for themselves than Certainly. I think you do. You seem very concerned to protect people no, coming no, no, no. to a free program. I'm trying to I prevent feel... these students from being defrauded. Right. I think they should all be free to make this choice, but they have been lied to. Okay. This is inadmissible. Okay. So if they're, let's assume that they know the ISAs could be sold or will be sold. Yeah. And they were aware of the true placement rates. Okay. And if they know the placement rate is somewhere between the person who no longer works there, who is disgruntled, who feels <laughs> it's 50 to 60. No, she is disgruntled. I have obviously. other sources we can talk about. But well, sure. well, even if she's right, it's 50 to 60. Sure, and yeah. then the internal number they claim is 75 to yeah. 86. So between those two numbers, if we just assume each person is painting a, their best picture and you average the two, you're averaging 50 and 86, you're at 65 or 70. Okay. Does that seem reasonable? It's a number. I don't think it really matters much what the number is, but I mean, well, I'm, I mean, I there think are other. What I'm saying is, these existing competition. Lambda School is just one option among many right. options that are very similar to it. Got it. I'm, I'm not trying to say that all boot camps are bad, and this option no, should I mean, be taken be, off the table. Yeah. I think if the most capitalist argument I can make for this is that they should be allowed to compete with fair rules Got to it. deliver the best results. Okay, I like it. What are the and rules? The rules are you can't lie. <laughs> yes. At minimum. Uh, and if I feel like this is a very simple point that almost no one who like shouted at me on the internet really understood. <laughs> well, no, yeah. I mean, I would be 100% agree with you. And it, it is actionable if you were to lie when- Which he clearly has. Uh, I, I guess- No, no, no. He clearly has. <laughs> I, I think his explanation was, you know, they may have had an 86%- About, they've lied about so many things. Okay, but I mean, I, just so we unpack it perfectly- I think, since he's not here to defend himself, and maybe I just have to do round three with the two of you in the same room, but if they're at 86, if they had 86 at some point and they said that was the number then they and the number now is 60 or 70. then. Right. Okay, so... I have another source, for okay. instance, who... Go ahead. Uh, how do I put this without... For whatever reason, mm. they had access to Lambda's internal hiring numbers and was shocked to see them at around 50%, to which when this concern was voiced to Lambda, it was met with shock. 
the internal number of when you say hiring, the placement rate of the yes. students. Yes, the placement hiring rate, rate of the post graduation post within six months. Got it. And so they keep working with the students after that, right? They say that they do. Yeah, that, that would be that would make sense to them. They have the incentive to get the number. And my experience up. with students is that they do not. All right. So when we get back from this final break, the thing I really want to talk about is um, if they did go uh, and allowed anybody to take it on part-time or full-time, should that exist in the world and would that be better for society? When we get back on the student service. When I'm evaluating startups, I always ask, are you recording your NPS score? What is Net Promoter Score? It's very simple. This is when you get a little email after you've purchased something and it says, how likely are you to recommend this product to a friend? One through 10. The people who score nine and 10, they're very enthusiastic about your product, aren't they? That's why they pick nine and 10. People who do six and under, they're like detractors. They don't want to promote your product. They might even say something bad about it. And then there's people in between who are kind of indifferent, right? They would score seven or eight. If you track your NPS score with delighted.com, you are going to understand your consumers really well. The companies that have high promoter score are companies like Tesla. You've met Tesla owners where they can't shut up about how great the product is like me. That's what you want. That's when a product grows by word of mouth and that is free. Well, in order to do that, you have to track it. If you use delighted.com, they'll let you segment those users. They'll do analytics on it. And your organization is going to see those reports as they come in. It is an amazing, amazing company. And our portfolio company, Graviter, is uh, doing on-demand marketing and video. And their CEO, Dorian loves delighted.com and she commented actually on their fantastic and personal customer support. So join companies like Instacart, Envision, and Rent the Runway right now by claiming your lifetime delighted account complete with a complimentary advisory session with a delighted concierge. They're going to give you that service right now for free. It's over $1,000 in value. The listeners of This Week in Startups get to talk to the delighted concierge by going to delighted.com dot com slash twist you can build all these best practices get the response rate great and have all that robust reporting all in a very easy to use interface and when i say easy to use it is a beautiful product you're also beyond nps you also get things like uh csat csat and ces and others go check out delighted.com slash twist thanks for supporting the pod all right vincent Wu was on the program socialist and investigative journalist uh, he's voting for Bernie Sanders. I was voting for Bloomberg. Uh, we both lost, and uh, Biden is going to stumble his way into we the presidency. We split the difference. <laughs> we split the difference. We went with the Biden, who is clearly doesn't know where he is sometimes. <laughs> I mean, it's it's sad, but it's. I mean, I think he might not be all there. I mean, he didn't seem I'm not crisp. Gonna, I, I really he can't did do not this seem crisp of... in that last debate. I mean, he does. He feels like he's not fully present. Uh, I'm a little concerned. I don't want to shit talk our uh, <laughs> likely future presidential exactly. candidate. Exactly. Uh, so if the program, I mean, and so if the program existed, you could go full or part-time, mm-hmm. same economics, same ISA, mm-hmm. uh, and all the uh, graduation rates were published and audited. Mm-hmm. Should that exist in the world? I mean, is that a good thing for society in the world? Exists, I mean, that is Lambda School. I mean, what is the difference that you're proposing, I guess? Uh, well, the part-time thing. They ha- I mean, they have and, that. Uh, the thing I'm proposing is that anybody can go take it. They don't have to be accepted. Taking out the acceptance thing. So this theoretical, a million people can log right. into the Slack and start doing it. Well, in order to do that, I mean, their their economics would have to be so different. Like, I mean, Why? like that. 
they would need an incredible amount of additional instruction. Okay, got it. Yeah. Like the costs would would make this infeasible. But like, let's say we live in the magical world where this yeah, like just... let's say people actually start paying off their ISAs. Yeah, and that the money works and that right. they're able to pay so, their I teachers. Mean, if that business model worked, yeah, like was in the black, then obviously it would be a good idea. The question so as to exist. whether it would be good or not is effectively whether the business would be viable or not. Let's talk about that. How many, if there, if it's a how many, you know what the student to teacher ratio is? And About what like 40 is 40 something, I think. 40 students to one teacher. Yeah. And so a teacher probably gets paid 100, 150. What do they get paid? I don't know. They'd have to be a developer, right? Eh. They would have to be able to work as a developer if they're teaching the I development tools. Start cutting a few com- corners here and there. I mean, well, let's assume that they would. Yeah, let's say you pay them 150K. Sure. Yeah, there has to be a 150K developer. They have 40 students and the program lasts nine months. Mm hmm. 40 students times an average of 25K is a million dollars. Let's say half of them pay it back. That's 500,000. Of the 500,000, 30%. Well, your placement rate would plummet is the thing. Well, that's why I pick 50, not like 60 or 70. Oh, it would be way lower. If you literally took anyone. Okay, let's pick. Well, okay. Like 10% or five, you know, depending on if you literally mean like the entire population was enrolled, like what do you. Um, I guess they'd have to play. I mean, I don't know what the basic test would be, but let's say like some basic test you have competency in uh, using the online tools, ability to speak the language of the professor, and um, yeah, yeah, some basic ability to- uh, Let's say you 10x the student population, which they plan to do anyway. Yeah, so yeah, you 10x like, well, the student population, you have a graduation rate of 20%, 20 times 25 is 500,000. If you place half of them, that's 250, you would essentially break even. Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's maybe. a lot of additional administrative costs. There's a the cost of acquiring the student, for instance. Yeah, but if you opened it up, you wouldn't have to worry about the acquiring cost, right? Yeah, perhaps, yeah. So I mean, check that out. And like, look, I mean, effectively, this is their plan. Is right? it really? Yeah, you think? I mean, their plan is to scale the school to be like a multi-billion dollar company, yeah. right? Like the only way they get there is by dramatically ramping Yeah, to be a billion dollar company, they have to have 100 million in revenue. Yeah. 100 million in revenue uh, would be... It's possible, but it'd be a very big students. school. Yeah. Yeah. Like a very big school. And like, I, I think it, like, is, I think some aspect of your question is reducible to the question, like, is education good? I mean, and like, I have to say, yes, like, of course, like, people should have the opportunity to be educated. Like, so well, long I'm as- just also this format of education and the ISAs and the, and the combination of these things. Cause I think that's what's truly unique about what's going on here. And that could be revolutionary in the world. And maybe that, the 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 good side of this is maybe we should be paying attention to putting aside the things you uncovered, assuming they're all true, which I'll just give you the benefit of the doubt and uh, New York Magazine the benefit of the doubt. If it is all true, um, what can we learn from the ISA system and then backloading it and in relation to the I, education I, system? I tried to make this point earlier, and I think like the main thing about ISA is that people need to understand about how it's changing the coding bootcamp and potentially the education world in general is that it changes the demographics of your students dramatically. It is a very strong incentive for a particular subset of the population, e.g. the population that cannot afford roughly $15,000, you know? And that's a big chunk of the population. Oh, yeah. Definitely. It's got to be half. Right. And like these people are in many ways fundamentally different from the people who can afford $15,000. The people who were considering, ah, oh, maybe I should go to college, you know. How are they different? Like, they're poorer. Yeah. They're much poorer. And they have much less in the way of opportunity, you know. So, like, variance in populations that have very little breathing room is much more deadly mm. 
variance when you have like, I don't know, you have like 20 grand in the bank, you know, you can eat it, you know, like, so I think this is fundamentally what's changed, right? This is a group of people who have a strong incentive to join because no one else will take them for education, but also are in some ways the least prepared mm. because they, their prior schooling hasn't really prepared them. Public school system sucks. They yeah. may not even know how to learn because they didn't learn how to yeah. learn in the public school system because it was babysitting. So you, you can open up the school to all of these people. And I think that that is a good thing. Mm. Like fundamentally, it's just a very difficult thing. And you have to do it carefully because when you don't do it carefully, you have a constant incentive to cheat mm. to make it look like it's working. But it, this is a hard problem. Like This is the problem of all education effectively is that mm. it's very hard to scale education. We don't really know how to do it. Lots of teachers have different theories of pedagogy. No one has really settled the question of how best ought students to learn in large numbers. Mm. Like, we're just not there. You have an idea? No. Yeah. This is a mystery. Yeah. You know, like, this is one of the hardest things. And, like, from what I've seen in Lambda School, they don't really have much in the way of pedagogy. Like, mm. they're in chaos. Mm. Like, they're just randomly throwing resources at students and hoping it works out. Yeah. And so nobody has an idea. Wouldn't it be nice if there were a bunch of venture capitalists who were willing to take the risk and have some crazy entrepreneurs dedicate their life to yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, in some ways, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I, I do think... I mean, that's what's occurring here. Yeah, that like some aspect of this story is good. Like yeah. zooming out from it, I like that people took a risk on alternative education. I like that they're trying to widen the pie. Mm. I think these are good things. I think your behavior on that road is the important thing. That matters. And, and that... Like the nobility of your mission matters, but the nobility of your behavior arguably matters, at least to me, even more. You're a principal guy. Somewhat. Somewhat. Seems very high. You seem very high principal to me. I mean, we've all done You're, terrible things. We have? Um, well, <laughs> let's put it this way. I, uh, kn I know why you were banned from Demo Day. <laughs> why was I banned from Demo Day? I'm not allowed to say. On the You're air. not allowed to say? Okay. Really? Yeah. Uh, the reason I was told I was banned from Demo Day is because I was low-balling the offers. Uh, yeah. That's not it. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. Th that's the reason I was told. I think they give you a nice answer. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, well, if somebody knows, tell me, Jason and Calaganis. I'm, I'm interested to hear. We've all done terrible things, you know. Yeah. Uh, Well, I guess I got to end the show because I got to find out why I got down for demo day. <laughs> um, so, what else uh, do you think they need to do now? And what do you think of Austin as an individual? I mean, I think I made my opinion of Austin pretty clear in the interview. He's a liar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I think well, like you also said you thought he wanted to be. I think in your interview, famous. Yeah, I mean, he's a narcissist, effectively, yeah. right? Like, and, you know, he was motivated to do a good thing. And I think when people in that position who think highly of themselves feel that way, they feel like the minor offenses they commit on that road are just minor offenses, that they are justifications for where they're going, and that when they get where they're going, everything will be good, and it won't have mattered what they did on the way to get there. Mm. Like, the ends will have justified the means, effectively. Mm. And in some sense, he is right. Like, if he does manage to get where he's going. And Lambda School does become a very good at-scale school. In some sense, he will be right that his sins will be forgiven. Hmm. And I'm okay with that. You know, like I see reporting like this as kind of moving the needle 
on that, like that this forces them to clean up their act. I do think good. actually that that is the best part of that's when journalism's at its best is when it actually acts as a safeguard against, you know, people behaving badly or the yeah. truth. You know, I mean, there was a lot of psychic potential saved up for this piece. Like the moment I put feelers out for like, hey, I want to hear about Lambda School. I found students that had written like 50 page letters to Lambda School demanding the cancellation of their ISA meticulously documented with screenshots. Why wouldn't they just cancel them? I mean, if, if it's all on the come anyway, like. I don't know why they don't. I, I actually. I mean, that's what I, I would share do in that your confusion, actually. If somebody was uh, truly upset, I mean, just people have money like back this, guarantees. This story, this yeah. one, like the highlighted text here, yeah. would not have made it to press if Austin had just said, okay, yeah. I'll cancel all of them, sign this non disclosure agreement. That would have been very easy for him to do, and it would have saved him a lot of heartache, and yet he resisted. I don't know why. Right. It would have been so easy to buy off these students because, like, you're not even buying anything. Yeah. Like, it doesn't involve a capital transfer in any way. You already sunk the cost on them. Yeah. Like, they're probably not going to repay the ISAs just out of spite, yeah. you know? So, like, why even bother making a point of it? Mm. I don't understand. I, I mean, I think fundamentally, like, the easy and dumb answer is he's somewhat of a prideful man, as mm. are we all, right. you know? So I can kind of get why you would get stuck. I mean, especially if you told yourself in the morning every day, like, I am the mission, the mission is good, the company is doing good. Correct. Then, like, when a bunch of students all demand a refund en masse, like an entire cohort, the cognitive dissonance introduced by that event, I think, causes him to fight. And this is something I've seen in a lot of screenshots in private conversations between Austin and students. He just tells... Slack. Yeah. Yeah. He tells them that they're wrong. Like, when students have concerns, they're usually shut down by staff. Huh. Like... That this yeah, I've is seen young entrepreneurs with that. I mean, one of the things that makes you a great entrepreneur sometimes is not um, – what can make a great entrepreneur is not um, bending in your vision. It can also be your blind spot. Mm -hmm. So if people say, like, you shouldn't do surge pricing, right? Like, that was one of the things that they told Uber in the early days. You shouldn't be surge pricing. Uh -huh. Travis was like, yeah, no, there, there needs to be surge pricing because if not, we're not going to have drivers on the road when it rains. Yeah. And so you're wrong. <laughs> and he told the customers they were wrong. And you know what? It was hard for people to hear. But in that case, he was right. I mean, surge pricing right. gets people to drive on Friday and Saturday nights and they get them to drive and pick people up in the boroughs in Brooklyn. Uh, sure. you know, when I'm it's not snowing. really sure what your point is. Yeah, obviously some people can be like right or wrong and they can be pigheaded about it. Like Travis is famously wrong about all sorts of stuff. Right. right. Famously right about other things. Yeah, right? totally. I mean, yeah. now he's rich, so obviously paid off. But like- Well, I made, I made a company that- <laughs> Change the world, yeah. I, I was just trying to give you a profile. I mean, your question was like, what do I think of Austin Allman? Yeah. That was kind of a summary of like yeah. my assessment of him just as like a personality. Yeah. You no, know? And, I, and I was actually trying to uh, reinforce that. I think you're right that like I do see it in entrepreneurs that they, they do have a blind spot sometimes where yeah. they're so used to their contrarian view being yeah. what makes them actually create opportunity in the world. Like, I have a contrarian view. There should be a school. It should be remote. Just people should of, play ISAs. A lot of these people are just not very well socialized. You know, like, that's the thing about Austin and yeah. Travis. Like, right, like, they, their friend circles were either sycophants or their family. You know, like, they don't... Oh, that is a real thing. Yeah. You're right about that. Sometimes people do not give people candid feedback. Right, I mean, like, I, I just don't think that, you know... Never mind. That that's too cruel. I'm not going to say it. Sorry. No, I mean, we don't have to get cruel. Pick yeah. any individual people out. I mean, it it is definitely. I think it's as you get more powerful and rich mm -hmm. and influential, people do not give you candid feedback. Yeah, and I, I think it can be harder to see that you're not well socialized. You know, 
Like Austin yeah. is not a very empathetic person, huh. you know? And like, I think part of that is environment and training, you know? And yeah, I mean, and also some people are, and I'm not saying this in his case, but I mean, they do literally do Saturday Night Live skits about Zuckerberg being- A robot. Like, a robot, and, yeah. which is kind of like them saying he's got Asperger's, which is kind of cruel when you think about it. I mean, he just accused Biden of being senile. <laughs> Well, I was just saying senile just doesn't seem like he's as sharp. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but senile is a description of old people. I mean, he's very old. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, uh, they, they had the same, they had the, I mean, mental acuity for the president is a valid discussion. I guess. So my larger point here is only that like these, like everyone already knows that like startups tend to be reflections of their founders. Oh, right? that's 100%. And I think if you look at the personality of Austin already, you see Lambda School pretty clearly. I just want to say, I, I really enjoyed our conversation. I'm glad you did. Yeah. I, I, I think Will I you apologize for calling me an idiot three times on your show? Did I call you an idiot three times? Yes. Uh, well. You, well, mu you must admit that at least I'm clearly not an idiot. No, you're smart. Okay. You're super smart. So please. Yes, I'm sorry I called you an idiot. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I mean, that. I do think that it's idiotic. I'm going to take, I'm not going to say you're an idiot. I'll <laughs> say it's idiotic to think that, or it's idiotic to think they shouldn't exist in the world, but you think it should. So I think it's kind of a misunderstanding. I thought your position was you just think they shouldn't exist in the world. A lot of people read what they thought they would hear yeah. when they read my That's piece. I like podcasts better than my piece is very factual. I made a lot of very factual claims about fraud, and then people yeah. just accuse me of shilling for higher education. I don't understand. Oh, I, I never even... Why would they think you're shilling for I, higher education? Because people are crazy. Yeah, did you... I mean, do you even <laughs> mention that higher education is better than this? Or no, you, there's you, no mention of college in here. I, I, yeah, as I say, I don't remember that. I read the story. I don't remember the actual Look, mention the of People that. on Twitter are just people on Twitter. Yeah. You know, like, that's just how yeah. culture is. All right. Well, with that, I'll thank you for being on the pod. What's the next investigative piece? You got another one coming up? I do local political corruption mostly, so you'll see. This town is corrupt, huh? I agree. It's unbelievable. I mean, I- It's very believable. I, I, it's just hard to believe in 2020, a, a city like this that's so modern would have corruption. But I, I think a lot of intelligent people are not involved in the local political system. So you have all these people in tech who are not involved in the I local I agree politics. that tech people are very insular, yes. I mean, they really need to get involved in this political process. The, the guy, Ed Chan, who was, is that his name, Edward, Ed Chan? I don't know what you're talking about. The mayor, who was the former mayor? I mean, Ed Lee? Oh, Ed Lee, sorry. Ed Lee, um, he had, uh, I'm thinking of the other guy who was involved in this. There was another guy who was involved in it called Fish Boy or something. Shrimp Boy Chow. Shrimp Boy Chow, that's it. I was juxtapositioning the names. He was some criminal gangster and they were, he was selling access to him? That's are you, are you asking me to recount the Leland Yee scandal story for you? Yeah, briefly. Sure, Shrimp Boy Chow was a gangster who was who was wrapped up in the Le S state senator Leland Yee yeah. investigation. By Le Leland Yee was busted for attempting to facilitate the purchase of, uh, you know, things like rocket launchers to an undercover FBI agent. <laughs> uh, and, you know, some elements of Chinatown were drawn up into this investigation, yeah. including Shrimp Boy Chow. Shrimp Boy Chow, and, that's it. And... Some though, I don't think charges were pressed on this. Like some people who were fundraisers potentially for Ed Lee, so the jury's a bit out on like whether Lee was involved personally. I I, I personally don't think he was. And it sounds like he was a pawn. Like they were selling access to him. Ed or Lee something? was a well-meaning bureaucrat and he was good at his job. Yeah. I don't. He really didn't have that much in the way of political aspiration. Like he was kind of handed the job, huh. and now he's dead. So I won't speak ill of him. Yeah, ill of the dead. Yeah. Yeah. No, the the the. Remember reading the story in the Chronicle? I think it was or something where they were the shrimp boy. <laughs> it's just amazing somebody has that name he's very it's, short oh really That's, yes his mom nicknamed him ah. shrimp boy so he 
was supposedly selling access or getting people meetings for like ten thousand dollars in yeah, cash as a fixer. As a fixer. Yeah. And Ed Lee didn't know about it. Yeah, most people don't know about it. Isn't that? Incredible? But no one, no one knew about it until the FBI told everybody. Yeah. Well, except for the people who were doing it. It's not. So the thing about criminal conspiracies is there are vastly more of them in the world than anyone suspects because the vast majority of them are simply financial frauds that go undetected. Uh. There are so many, and they're so easy to do. Yeah. And like many, many people are tempted to do it, sometimes to cover, cover a hole, eventually to make a profit once they realize they can get away with it. You only really hear about the most egregious cases, Enron, huh. Theranos, you know, the like, yeah. only when it becomes so bad that journalists get interested do you find out about those cases. It's like, got to get pretty big. Yeah, most local DA's offices, for instances, do not employ a forensic accountant. Like prosecution of white collar financial fraud usually falls to the state or the feds and their appetite for these cases, like the fraud needs to be in the millions and millions of dollars before they can even get interested. Uh, So if somebody's skimming some little bit every year, skimming, you can be skimming like low millions of dollars in all sorts of place, both in government and private industry forever and never never be caught. Wow. And that is normal. It's unbelievable. Well, it's a testament to the strength of the economy that life continues nonetheless, but like yeah, I like, guess I shouldn't be shocked. It's very believable. I mean, like, look. I mean, <laughs> no, I just, you know, like, I, I obsess over, like, should I expense this or that? What's the tax rule on, like, let me put it me this expensing way. this dinner and, like, how many people came to dinner? Did my wife join us? Is my wife, like, when I go on vacation with my wife, if I'm doing business. It's small stick stuff, right? Yeah, I, I obsess about you it. You don't like, make I a make totally sure fake company that claims to have revenue or not. Or, like, let's put it this way. If Trump had not become president, do you think anyone would really be that aware of the depth of his financial crimes? I mean, it's got to be extraordinary. Like, yeah. they're in the hundreds of millions of dollars I mean, this fraud. Deutsche Bank stuff or whatever these yeah. loans are, like, when this comes out, oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, but, like, probably it, took, round trip. it took him yeah. to become president, president to get the spotlight. Because it's very hard, right? Yeah. Like, you're playing cat and mouse. Right. And you try to have stiff punishments, but people have such a widespread incentive to commit crime that, like, white-collar... It's just everywhere. And you have a lot of plausible deniability, too. It's tough to build the case. Huh. It's not just nabbing someone for selling a vial of drugs. It's like you have to, like, as a as like a state AG attorney, like, you're going to put in, like, a year huh. of legwork on one case in order to prove to the level of confidence necessary to know that you won't lose in front of a jury the case that you bring. Like, it's very hard. And I think this dichotomy means that just a lot of frauds go undetected. So... That I don't know why I got on this topic. But no, yeah. it's, I'm, listen, I mean, I, I told you when we were trading emails, I found you're fascinating because I, I love investigative journalism. Obviously, I spent a lot of time in journalism. Uh, what do you think of this DA? This like Chessa di- remains to be seen. We'll see. So I mean, some interesting things, some things that make people a little squeamish, but like his parents were are in jail for murdering. A I cop. don't care about his biography. Yeah. I mean, I think some people have objected to. Uh, he's removed some of the. The lawyer's working like gang beat. Uh, But I think he is potentially going to do some interesting work with white collar crime prosecution, which I think is exciting. Like, you know, this is one of the big missed areas in local DA's offices is actually being able to prosecute white collar crime or higher levels of rings effectively. Mm. Because you don't stop street crime by like prosecuting like car burglars. You know, like this is a fencing operation. There's the economics of it. You need to be able to roll up the whole chain. Yeah, that was my understanding is when they made this law that you can't prosecute people for petty crime and the car break-ins, that you had so many car break-ins that uh, 
the the gangs were actually it was 80 90 gangs and they actually were like oh we can just break into cars systematically and pawn the stuff on yeah. craigslist or whatever ebay and no, they kind of made it, it into overseas a, what's that it goes overseas is that what it is they just pack it into a container and yep. ship it somewhere yeah wow just take steal 100 bicycles put them in a container and go to take bicycles go to la um i don't know but like electronics purses that kind of thing they sell them in vietnam china that sort of thing wow that is crazy wow continue. it's not crazy this is a global economy like we buy the ipads from china and, and then they're they stolen s- and they go back is that so surprising like <laughs> it just it's it's surprising in the scale, I guess, to me, uh, of it all. I mean, every aspect of the modern economy is insanely global and right. complicated at this point. Right. Like the delicacy of the supply chain is is sort of awe-inspiring slash terrifying. Yeah. So, yeah, like the idea that like crime would be, like especially crime of economics would be international at this point. Is well, I was just thinking of this. I was on an island at some point. I might've, it might've been Australia or something. No, it wasn't Australia. It was somewhere. And I would, and they served us Fiji water and I was just had this like moment of like, what's wrong with yeah, the what's water with that? here? Also, is Fiji water real? I never really. I think it really is from Fiji. And I'm just like. kind of crazy, right? I'm just like, you're, you literally shipped this bottle of water from Fiji on some boat and you burned a bunch of fossil fuel to yeah, bring it here. It's pretty wild. And it must've, hit like two or three other places before it made its way to Jamaica or something or wherever I was. I blame the existence of marketing. You know, yeah. you know, grocery stores used to be the way you would buy things is you would go to the store and you would tell the grocer what you wanted yeah. ingredients wise and they would hand you a bunch of like brown paper packages. Yes. Completely unbranded. Brandless. But when we realized that we could save money on grocery stores by making them self-serve, mm. there's an explosion of consumer branding and choice because now they realize the problem was no longer convincing the grocer that their ingredients was good. It was convincing a bunch of lay people en wow. masse. So, so like now we have a situation where you go to the grocery store. Did you read that in a book somewhere or something? I never actually knew that history. Uh, it's a pretty amazing- This has been written about, um, yeah. I think I first became aware of this idea from the podcast, The Anthropocene Reviewed, which oh. you may enjoy. It's a wonderful well, podcast by the oh, author John good. Green. I love a good podcast. Really totally. Good. You listen to uh, Preet Bahar's? No. Get Preet Bahar's. Stay what, tuned. what is that? Uh, he was the um, DA in the Southern District of New York. Oh. Uh, and, uh, that is interesting. Trump fired him like in the first week. He wanted him. <laughs> Trump kept calling him to make a pledge of like loyalty. You know, Trump has the loyalty pledge. And so now he has a podcast? And now he's got a podcast where he talks about Trump and everything else. But uh, he has one on Mondays that's paid, cafe.com is it's called cafe insider he does it with ann milgram who is the da from new jersey uh-huh. uh and him talk about legal issues and you know they'll go an hour into an issue and you're like wow i never really get to go on the step like we went an hour into this investigative story and like would uh-huh. you ever get to hear something like that well on podcasts all the time I and mean, podcasts all the time yeah. which is why podcasts are surging it's kind of cool yeah yeah uh, because you know you're an article people don't people are like oh too long didn't read uh and nobody's writing long form anymore. And the fact that you have a story that was actually fact check is like one out of 10,000 pieces of content. They cut me down from like 4,000 words. Yeah. That's All right. Brutal. Listen, you're a great guest. I'd love to have you on again. Uh, totally. Maybe on the news roundtable. Uh, okay. We'll see everybody soon on this week's house. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.